And the idea is that throughout your life, if you run out of money, you're, you're still going to be able to be cared for. Most places, which can be affordable to many people if they don't have a six-figure down payment, is a monthly charge for communities that might just be assisted living. There's communities that might be assisted living in memory care. So there's so there's just so many options out there, which is why, as you stated earlier, a senior navigator or someone who understands what is available out there and what those options are is really important to help you kind of navigate through, you know, all the options, all the complexities of each community. There's no way around it. Caring for a loved one with dementia is not for the faint of heart. We don't know what we don't know, and often families focus so much on the person with dementia that they forget to keep their eyes on the family member managing care, which can be catastrophic. In this podcast, we'll help you become more proactive and remind you to focus on yourself. We will share challenges and wins and guidance from professionals at every step in the journey of caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's and other dementias. Welcome to the Eye on the Caregiver podcast. We're delighted to have Peggy Brader with us today. Peggy is the founder and CEO of A Family Tie, personal senior service consultants, also known as senior living or senior care advisors. Welcome to the podcast, Peggy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Peggy, senior living communities are popping up all over the country, making it more and more difficult for families to navigate. Having choices is a good thing, but sometimes there can be too many choices that can be overwhelming. We recently did a podcast with Tanya Schoenhoff, a senior care advisor in Atlanta, explaining why families should work with senior living or care advisors like yourself. But today, we'd like to go a little bit deeper and talk to you about the differences between communities and how to find the best fit, because what is great for me may not work well for someone else. That is so true. I'm really glad you're going to do a little deeper dive into that. So senior living communities are, let's say, like country clubs, right? You know, every everyone is different. You know, what I like, what you like may not be the same. So when you move to a senior living community... Most senior, all, let me rephrase that, all senior living communities can help someone take a shower, use the bathroom, get dressed, provide meals, do housekeeping, give medications, all of that stuff. But the other 24, 23 hours of the day, that's what's important to someone. That's what gives someone purpose and meaning in their life. And each community has a different feel. Some are, you know, on the the high end and quite fancy. Um, some are very simple. So it really depends on who you are and what's important to you and what's going to make you feel connected to a community. It's a very personal thing. So I know in our situation, our our parents, we moved them into an independent living facility, knowing that our our father had already been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but was still pretty independent and that this memory facility was eventually building a, a memory wing that if when the time came, we could move them into, into that memory wing. The, the timeline didn't work out quite for us, but it brings me to kind of my question is, you know, because of the nature of our work, we tend to focus on memory care. However, as the caregiver, uh, you know, to someone with dementia, the, the caregiver may be living in a senior living facility and they themselves don't have any memory care issues or need memory care. So can you explain different options for senior living? 
Sure. And that that's an excellent scenario. I see that all the time. Just, you know, one person's independent and one might need more help, whether it's cognitively or physically. And in today's world, there are so many options. You have, like you described, an independent living community where you can progress through levels of care. So independent, assisted, where you might just need help with physical care, and then of course, memory care, and then of course, your long term care, your skilled care, where your your needs are more medical. Today, there's, you know, there's things called residential assisted livings or small assisted livings, I like to call them boutique assisted livings, where there's no more than eight people in a residential home that are getting care. There are communities where you put down a large sum of money and they're called, I guess they're called buy-ins in this area. So you put down a large sum of money and then you pay a monthly fee. And the idea is that throughout your life, if you run out of money, you're, you're still going to be able to be cared for. Most places, which can be affordable to many people if they don't have a six-figure down payment, is a monthly charge for communities that might just be assisted living. There's communities that might be assisted living in memory care. So there's so there's just so many options out there, which is why, as you stated earlier, a senior navigator or someone who understands what is available out there and what those options are is really important to help you kind of navigate through, you know, all the options, all the complexities of each community. Peggy, you're right. There's so many options. And I think that um, in a good way, there's so many communities popping up that weren't even here maybe 10 years ago. So that's a good thing. But it also complicates things too, when you're trying to make a decision. So what are the questions that families should be asking as they think about a move to a, a senior living community? Well, I think, you know, most of us are pretty can pretty much say, hey, my loved one needs this care right now. You know, can you, you know, they're incontinent. Can you get them to the toilet? Can, you know, they they can't take a shower independently. Um, You know, all, all of those types of things. Everyone's pretty good about saying, you know, what can you help with my parents now? Because you're in the middle of, of care for your parents right now. But I think more importantly are questions of what can't you do? You know, what, what can't you do a year from now? What if my loved one, when you talk about dementia, you know, if my loved one becomes aggressive, if my loved one has a negative behavior, and it's not just aggression, I'm working with a family now whose loved one is up all night long, and they're asking her to hire a private duty to be with that person, he's disrupting the community. So these are things that we don't always think about. We don't always think that my loved one's going to be up all night long and he's going to disrupt everybody else in the community. We don't think that our loved one might have a negative behavior, aggressive behavior. So most communities are pretty good at helping folks who can bear weight. And that doesn't mean that they necessarily can walk, but they can assist in a transfer. So you stand, you bear your own weight, a caregiver can help you pivot. Sometimes those things are very difficult for communities when you're dead weight. So if you're a 200 pound person, you know, six feet tall, that might be difficult for some communities. So it's really, you know, questions about when you're talking about the actual physical care, those types of things, looking at not just today, but the future. But more importantly, I think also is talking about the culture, talking about the culture of that community. Does it fit with your loved one's personality? So if your loved one's very ostentatious, you want to be around other people who have that same kind of feeling, that same have, you know, kind of like they're comfortable in that environment. 
But on the opposite side of that, if you have someone who's not, if someone who's very simple, maybe was a farmer and, you know, moving them into a beautiful community, even though you as the daughter might say, oh my gosh, this is a gorgeous place. I'd love for my parents to be here. Your parent may not resonate with that and therefore not be able to connect with the community and cause problems down the road, just being alone and isolated again, because they don't feel like they can talk to other people in that community, in that environment. The questions are just boundless, just based on who you are as a person and what's really important to you. You know, it's interesting that you bring up culture because I've been thinking about that a lot during our conversation. You know, as a business owner, right, I know the importance of a strong culture within a company. And as you said, I, the, the same holds true in a senior community. Right? Mm-hmm. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that because I think it's so important. And is there a checklist or are there, you know, five or 10 questions that somebody should be asking to see what the fit is? Like example you gave of somebody's a farmer or political beliefs, right? Yeah. Maybe somebody's like super conservative or super liberal. And you certainly don't want to drop a super liberal person into a super you know, conservative community. Are there some questions that, that, you know, somebody listening to this podcast could say, oh, wow. Yeah, I need to answer those questions around culture in order to narrow down the options for me? Sure. You know, normally when you walk into a community, you kind of get an instant, I always get an instant feel. And I know you guys have looked at and been in a lot of communities as well. You can get a feel for what that community is like, whether it's modern, whether it's simple, whether it is, you know, very ritzy. So if you know your loved one is a lawyer and they're Republican, and they really resonate with politics, as you mentioned, you want to ask those questions. So tell me about the other people in your community. And of course, they can't answer what religions or, you know, anything, any demographic stuff. But you can say, yeah, we have a lot of lawyers in our community. So those things, I think you can get a feel for what's happening, looking at the activities calendar, look at the things that they're doing in that community. Are they sitting down and having political conversations in voting years? Are they getting ballots for people? Uh, Most communities do get absentee ballots for a lot of people. But, you know, ask the questions like things that your loved one would like to do. So if your dad is really involved in politics, we'll just stick with that topic. If your dad is involved in politics, ask what programs do you have in the community? And if they don't have any programs in the community that are going to entice your father, ask about the ability, is there is there a way to start something like that? Because usually most communities are very open. Yeah, if your dad wants to do that and there's other people who are interested in that, absolutely, they will start programs. So knowing what your loved one likes and how they have always grown up, even if they're not doing those things today, I think people get caught up in, oh, well, my loved one can't do that anymore. You know, help with the Republican campaign, but now he can't. Just because he can't, independently as a on his own, that doesn't mean that in an environment and a community environment, there's not a way to help engage him. You still, however your dad was or your mom was in that time, in their previous time to today, you want to make sure that they're going to be able to continue to be in that same culture and vice versa. And, and it's not always about like children, what the children want. I had a gentleman in a community that I managed to He was such a great guy. He was very gregarious. He was very outgoing. And his daughter wanted him to be involved in pretty much every activity in the community. But he wanted two things. He liked to sing and he wanted opportunities to sing. And he liked to watch birds. That's what he wanted to do. And 
we gave him every happy hour he would sing for us in our community. But during the day, he was in the room watching birds because that's what he wanted to do. And the daughter would get very frustrated because her father wasn't involved in a lot of activities. But what gave him purpose and pleasure was singing and birds. So sometimes we have to, as children or even spouses, we have to not think about what we want for them, but what really is making them happy and engaging them throughout their day. And can that community provide it? I think if somebody could take away something from this podcast, the, one of the first things is to sit down and say, what is my you know, loved one need? Like, what are they interested in? Oh, they're interested in this type of music. They're interested in, in politics, or maybe they're not interested in politics at all, right? And so making kind of a two columns, right, of what are they interested in and what are they not interested in? Because I think not being interested in something is just as important, right? If you're not into politics at all, Last thing you want to do is like be sitting in a group of people and all they do is talk about politics. Or if you're really into sports and you go to a community and there's nobody into sports. So I think that that would be a good starting point is to kind of sit down and say, okay, what are they into? What are they not into? And I think your point is actually really good. It's not necessarily what they're into today. It's what they've been interested in life. Because we see that a lot in our conversations with people on the podcast is that a lot of times seniors... They still have interest in something, but they may have not done it for 10 years, 20 years because of circumstance. But it doesn't mean that they're still not into that type of music. They just don't have a chance to listen to it. And then take that list and use it as conversation points at the, at the community. Very, very true. Peggy, do you find when families engage with you, because we did not engage with a senior senior living advisor, we didn't know that they existed, quite honestly, but do you find that families are asking the right questions when they come to you initially? And if not, what are the questions that you want to hear people asking just so that you can get all the information that you need to help find the best match? I want people to share with me, like first questions that I always ask people is, you know, about physical care needs. I mean, that's really the first thing because I want to be able to know really where they are in their physical abilities and to be able to match them to a community that's going to be able to take care of that now. But the bigger question is, to me, is is really what do they like to do, you know, or what did they like to do? Because, again, who are they as a person? How many kids do they have? You know, do are they connected with their family? You know, all these things kind of help give me an idea of who this person is overall. Like, do they have animals? Like, do, like pets are huge for a lot of people. Most people aren't even asking the question, like, is there a pet that wants to come to the community? I really want people to just give me kind of an idea of who their level one is. Like, I ask what was their career? That's a huge question for me, because if I know they're a teacher, I mean, I hate to stereotype people, but you know, we know there's a certain type of person that are teachers or social workers or nurses or lawyers or whomever. And you get an idea already. We haven't even talked about like resources, what people's resources are, you know, that's a huge thing. Because not everybody can afford every community. I actually had a call this morning where this person referral from a rehab center and she really wanted someone to guide her through what should she be doing? What should, what should I do? And that's really where you want to probably engage a geriatric care manager, you know, someone who really kind of looks at the big picture and can say, okay, these are your mom's medications. This is what her health is. This is where she's going. You know, so, so there's different types of people who are able to guide in a way that somebody wants and needs guidance. We always want to educate families to be proactive, right? So the more that you can prepare ahead of time and understand and and really kind of 
stand up for what you or your loved one believes in, and it, it can make you the best advocate, right? So again, as Sean mentioned earlier, you know, this conversation works for us as a caregiver that may need a senior community for ourselves, or looking for something for our loved one who might need memory care. And I I think that we don't talk enough about what you find on the other side and how you really can find a good fit. And I do have a question. Do you ever encounter, like, what happens if it's not a good fit? Like, what if someone moves into a community and they are just not happy and they are just not thriving? Do you ever encounter that? Because I think families are a little bit afraid of that. Like, what, what happens if it isn't what we thought it was? So that's a great question, Michelle. And yes, I have encountered that. Trying to think how to answer this because it's usually because something has changed with the person or in the environment, especially the larger communities. What I see happening right now in the industry is that companies are getting bought up. So, you know, if a a smaller company wants to say, okay, I'm ready to, to sell off these properties or they're managed by different people, or maybe they don't want to manage anymore. So they hire a management company. It changes the culture of a community. So yeah, these things happen all the time in senior living. In addition to mom changing, you know, mom or dad or whomever, their needs have changed. I had a person who was in a community for a couple of years and dementia got to a point where it could no longer live in assisted living. And the family just wasn't happy with the community's memory care there. And so they moved to another community because mom now needed something that they felt wasn't a good fit for mom. I try to help families understand that, like this could happen. I once moved a family into a community that did not offer memory care as an option in their continuum. And I shared with her, I said, look, this might be okay for, it was actually her brother, this might be okay for your brother today, but please understand that if your brother gets to a point where he might be wandering or he has needs that go beyond what this community can do because they are not a dementia-focused community, you will have to move him. And she understood that and she decided anyway because it was kind of what she was looking for at that time. So as long as you know the options and understand Yeah. People are moving now all the time because cost of care significantly jumped this year. Communities are going from, I mean, I'm seeing cost jumps from eight, 10, even on 12%, like cost jumps this year. And that's huge for people who moved into a community and thought they were going to be paying one price. And now they're paying two, $3,000 more a month. Most people can't do that. What do you think it's causing this increase? Well, I think COVID really, because I think during COVID, the whole COVID past couple years where most communities weren't giving a cost of living increase, everything was kind of staying same. And now our own economy, we all like, you know, the cost of living increased, bumped up. So that's what typically happens. The increase happens when the cost of living, everything is harder to get. It's harder to get the actual hands-on care. So the labor, food costs are going up. You know, food costs more because the trucks now you have to pay gas taxes and all this other craziness. There's so much stuff that happens in a community that I don't think everybody really thinks about, you know, as an operating cost. It's harder to keep caregivers. So you're paying them more and everything is more expensive now. So there was a big jump this year. And so I'm definitely getting calls like, oh, my gosh, someone was paying, I think she started off paying 4,500 and now she's up to $9,000. And she goes, I just I can't do this. I can't sustain this. Those things happen. So we'll, we'll stay on this topic for just a moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun. It's super interesting. Um, and then we'll, we'll shift to something a little bit lighter. 
what's the option? I mean, what's the resolution for in particular, like that person? Is it just moving to a lower cost place? And if you're thinking about getting into, you know, senior living, then are there things that you can be thinking about now to protect yourself three, four years down the road? Because I know with our mom, she used to complain about that. You know, they would get a 5% increase or something like that. And she complained and I get it. You know, I understand people are a lot of people in, in these uh, situations are on fixed income. Sure. So what's the resolution now if you're in that situation? And if you're considering senior living, are there things that you can do now to protect yourself so you don't get hit with these increases or you have a way of covering it? Well, I mean, if you're moving into a senior living community, there will be increases. That's just, it's usually a cost of living increase, whatever the cost of living goes up you know, you can expect that your rate will go up similar. This year, the, a couple of places have gone above and beyond the cost of living because, you know, they didn't have increases for two years or they were, I'm thinking of one community in particular went up pretty high because they were kind of under the market. So they were trying to get more aligned with the market because they opened during COVID. So But to protect yourself, no, there's definitely financial people out there. If you have a financial planner, you need to talk to them about that. Like, that's a great question to ask. What is, you know, one of the great questions that you need to ask when you're talking about cost is, do your costs go up? And if so, how much? And marketing people will tell you, oh, well, they will anywhere between three and 6%. But, you know, it's, you know, there's no guarantee. Like last year, we didn't have any increase, you know, and they'll say things like that to kind of kind of blow over that. But you should expect in my market, which is in the DC metro area. Yeah, it's going to be typically between three and 6%, because that's what the cost of living has been. Talk to your financial planner. Absolutely talk to your financial planner. Yeah, I think this highlights the importance of people like you, right? So I would say one of the first things they do is they should contact someone like you, right, who is an advisor and can walk them through all this and then say, look, you need to go talk to you. And also kind of call through a lot of the marketing, right, because the salespeople are going to say things that aren't necessarily true. And having an advocate on their side like you is extremely powerful and can keep them from making some bad decisions, getting into the right place, fitting the right culture, being able to financially afford it, being able to protect yourself downrange of some of these increases. So let's let's switch a little bit. Let's get a little bit lighter. So, you know, one of the things that I think about, I, I think a lot of people think about when they start, you know, considering care, whether it's the person going into senior living or the, say, the children that are trying to convince them, because we went through this, right, is this idea that people worry that their life won't be well spent in their later years, especially if they live in a senior living community. And... I know the opposite is actually true because we saw this with our parents and they were at their home before they moved into a senior living facility, had no social contact. Their social life was basically zero, very isolated. They were three hours from anybody in their immediate family, any of their kids. And then we moved them into a facility. And now, you know, my mom had friends, you know, and she could meet people. And and in fact, my mom was injured at one point in time and sat in a hospital in rehab. She broke her femur. And I actually believe that had my mom not been in that senior living facility, she may not have left that hospital because she had something to look forward to. And she kept saying, I want to get back to my friends. I want to get back to my friends. So I know the opposite is true. So can you talk a little bit about that and this 
misperception of you know, living in a senior living facility is just the end. But, you know, I love I love this question because what you're saying is 100% accurate. Now, 26 years I managed senior living communities. 26 years I saw people coming in and I swear if I had a dollar for every time someone said, God, I wish I did this years ago, I'd be a very rich woman today because ev- almost everybody did. If you really think about it, everyone says, I want to stay in my home. I want to stay in my home. And for some people, I'm sure that is a is a good option. But I think we all kind of realized during COVID that isolation really does make us get, I don't want to say sicker, but like, like it's an important part of our life. I mean, not having, not being isolated. We need, we are social creatures as human beings. And that socialization, even if you say, oh, my mom's not very social. Well, I guarantee if she sits in front of a TV all day, she's going to decline very, very fast. Um, In an environment, even if your mom is in her apartment all day and three times a day, she goes down to have a meal with somebody. I mean, that is amazing. That's socialization. There's things to do. Like you said about your mom, you know, getting back to her friends, having her friends come and visit her, you know, and if you're in your home, you know, many times when you're in your home, you have a nice neighbor that checks on you, but that's not a friend. And people also, even in your, your friends, in your world, in your home, it's harder for them to come see you as well. So you do become very isolated. There's so many things to do in senior living communities, um, aside from just the programs that they're putting on, the activities that they're doing. It's knowing that if I fall, someone's there to help me. There's a lot to be said, thinking you're going to lie on the floor until someone eventually finds you. So no place is perfect, right? I managed communities for 26 years and I always had families who complained whether I was an, an excellent leader or not. People just have expectations that sometimes they misunderstand from salespeople. But I honestly believe that the joy of living in an environment where you have other people where you have things to do every day, you have places to go, you have meal, like even if it's just the meals, brings so much joy to most of us. So yes, there is that misconception. I really want to kind of emphasize that again, what Sean said about our mom, you know, she, they were very social growing up, but as they got older, they isolated themselves. And I think that we always have this guilt as adult children about encouraging our parents to make a move, whether it be to move a parent into a memory care or make a move into a senior living, because we know it's best for them. But I don't think people always really understand that the activities and the socialization are such a priority across all levels of care, right? So whether you're moving into an active senior community or you're moving into an assisted living or an independent living or even memory care. I think memory care probably, in my opinion, gets the worst rap about that. You know, people think, I don't want to take my parent to memory care because they only picture what they might have known, which is maybe a grandparent in a nursing home sitting in a chair all day. They don't really always understand that the engagement and activity is a is almost their number one priority. Of course, they want everyone physically healthy, but they engage no matter what your cognitive level is. And that's where, you know, the life well spent, you know, kind of comes into play and and dignity and just living, you know, we talk about this a lot. Our dad 
Oh my goodness, they loved him as much as we did. They encouraged him and in turn, they encouraged us. You know, we would get text messages in the middle of the day with a video of our dad at the driving range. You know, they took him to the driving range. The residents at the memory care that had liked golf, they would take them to the driving range and you could just see him shine, you know, and he was pretty late in the disease at that point, but that muscle cell memory was there. That is just such a big thing. And we just can't emphasize that enough. They really do. Most communities, I mean, really do want to bring joy to your loved one's day. I mean, it's really what they're all about. Of course, they want to, you know, help them with their bathing, dressing, toileting, but it's really about, you know, finding that joy. My favorite thing to do when I was managing memory care communities was walk the building because I saw so much joy. I saw so many amazing things. People used to say to me, you know, you're such a great person that you can do this. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not a great person. I get to give back. I get to make these folks, their quality of life so much better than it would have been if they had not lived in my community. So, and I truly believe that with every, every place that I managed, I really did give back. That's priceless for me. Yeah, absolutely. Peggy, we can't thank you enough for helping us peel back the onion to another layer of senior living. I want to make sure to reiterate again that senior living advisors or senior care advisors, personal senior service consultants, you never charge families for your service and are a wonderful resource, which is why we're such big advocates of engaging with senior living advisors. We hope that this conversation today gives families more insight on why we are such proponents. We're going to include a link to your website for anyone who's in the your demographic, Virginia, Maryland, D.C. area. That'll be covered in the show notes. But also, if you're listening and you're not in Peggy's geographic area, she's still a great resource and can help you with referrals to other areas. So make sure that you bookmark that because it can be super helpful. Absolutely. I'm happy to help. And, and even if someone just has a question, that's what I want to do. I want to help. That's why I started my business. Thank you very much for joining us. Michelle, thank you. Sean, thank you for having me today. So please join our community. And if you like what you hear in this and other podcasts, please share a link to someone who needs this information and leave a review for us. We'd really appreciate it. It's our goal to meet caregivers where they are. And many are in a place right now where they're going to need to make some changes and just don't know where to start. So if you're listening and you're in that situation, please join our community and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Peggy. And thanks, Michelle. And we will catch up with everybody next time. Thanks for listening. For more resources and information, visit windwardfoundation.org.